afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, your comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today, back in the producer chair, is Mr. Matt Belknap. Hello. How's it going? How you doing, Matt? Good. Good to be back. So, Matt, when you left the show, you promised me that if we had uh, any special musical guests in studio, that you would come back. Yes, and that has happened. But you it's also said right now. you also said that you had to approve the guest. <laughs> it couldn't just be. You said if a, if a Ted Nugent's in here, you're not coming in. That's right. For, you, for political reasons, right? <laughs> See, I'm the other way. I I I, uh, I don't like his music. I love his political views. <laughs> sure, I'm right. That sounds I'm about right. Right with him all the way. No, uh, you know that's not true. But uh, we do have a guest here today. Um, she is uh, a very talented singer songwriter. She uh, was a musical guest on Podcastathon 2011. 2011. Yeah. I'm looking at her caricature right now. I have to turn and look at it so people know I'm not lying. <laughs> and uh, we've been trying. And one of my daughter's favorites. I want to interject. Well, yeah, and I have a story about my daughter yeah. and, when I, and I, this person's music. I also. told my daughter this morning. I guess who I'm going to see today. And I told her, and she said, "Oh, tell her I said hi, and I love her music." <laughs> <laughs> and the person we're talking about is. Miss Lisa Lil. Hello, Lisa. Hello. I feel like I had to take my hair down just now to like get ready to speak. <laughs> <laughs> it works. To match that picture from the podcast uh, oh, yeah. poster. I know. It's from pretty 2011. Cool. I can't believe it was two th- I thought it was last year. I know. It's weird. Last year, who do we have la- last year we had um, Colin, Hay. Colin Hay. Oh, Colin. Mm-hmm. This year our music- I said that like LA, like, oh Colin. <laughs> but I am actually friends with him, so He's a great guy. So he is Colin, but he's it. also Colin Hay because it's Colin Hay. That's right. Yeah. That's a weird Los Angeles thing. I know. You, you have to be careful who you name with just the first name. I know. Like who? Like, uh, like, like Jimmy. Like <laughs> Yeah. Does Jimmy work? Maybe. For us. I mean, we yeah. know what we're talking does. about. Jimmy. Yeah. He does not like to be called Pardo. No. I know that. <laughs> he hates it. Or sometimes I'll call him Pards and he doesn't like that. <laughs> and I call, him that, I call him that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Lisa, I also have a, uh, I also have a story. Um, uh, about the song "Stay," when I would uh, when I I was uh, when I would play that in the car, my eight year old daughter uh, one day she said, "Dad, of all the thong, of all the songs you play, this is the only one I like." <laughs> so um, obviously she doesn't like Journey. She doesn't right. like uh, any of the other mess that I play. Cheap trick. She doesn't oh, like cheap, cheap trick. trick. But uh, she does Doesn't like... Doesn't it make uh, you sad? Like when I play my daughter a song that I love, I'm like, this is the new CD. She's like, no, I want children's music. Like I had a band called The Wombats. I think it's The Wombats. Or maybe it's just Wombats. I don't remember. Uh-huh. She's like, no, I want children's music. But then I was playing ELO in the car one day. It was on the radio. I think it was Don't Bring Me Down. And she thought that Bruce thing, which... What are, I don't know what they are saying. I don't know what they're saying either. Sort of embarrassing. Yeah. I still haven't looked it up after all these years. I think it but, is Bruce, right? Right, but why? Bruce? I don't know make, why. It doesn't make any sense. No. But, um, but she's I, like, I like this song. And that made me really happy. Because it makes me sad when she's like, no, turn it off. Yeah. Maybe she would like Mr. Blue Sky, because that's kind of like, that could be a kid's song. Oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of them are wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I put uh, Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy in her room when she was little, because I thought I could. I, that's very child-friendly. Right, right, right. You're talking about the Who album. Yeah, the Who, but she didn't quite glom on to it, so I'm trying it on my son now. I think he'll like it. <laughs> yeah, I wish get I get in there early. Yeah, I, I wish I could get the the girls to like some Who, but not my doing husband it. he got in there with some uh, G 
Jerry Garcia. Oh, my wow. God. My daughter named some of her dolls Jerry Garcia. <laughs> She's four. <laughs> and we have a Jerry Garcia tribute concert on DVD that he got. And she, like, begs to watch the videos. Oh, my God. And the songs come on. And, and, she, and I am in the other room trying to do the New York Times crossword puzzle in my brain. It's just like <laughs> someone's shoving wool into your head <laughs> while you're trying to think of a, you know, five-letter word for... I don't whatever and she and she's I hear her in the other room talking to my husband she's like uh, I want just one more song and then a song comes on she's like I don't like this song and he's like oh it's almost over and I'm just shaking my head like it's not almost over (laughs) he's never gonna be over he's gonna jam now for 12 more minutes (laughs) she's Uh, like dad no I don't like it no it's almost over and does she know that Jerry has passed she she does and she knows I don't know if she knows as much about him passing as the fact that he lost part of his finger and she likes to tell her other four year old (laughs) friend she's like okay this guy Jerry Garcia in a band called the Grateful Dead and he he cut off part of his finger he was messing around with his brother wow. <laughs> like, he could wow. still play yeah he could still play yeah. that she's on? like that's his fingers like this she showed because there was like a big poster behind the performers on the uh. but I will say that the tribute album I think I actually prefer to the real like live Grateful Dead somebody's going to kill me for saying this but I just instead of saying live Grateful Dead I like the tribute is this other artists doing Grateful Dead yeah with some of the people from the Grateful Dead yeah there's a lot of artists I like like um like I that I don't like but I like them as songwriters like I don't really like Tom Waits I don't like that his singing voice I love it but yes also I understand but I like when I hear people cover his songs I'm like that's an amazing song oh Tom Waits wrote that that's like Bob Dylan I I like Bob Dylan a lot but I love hearing the melodies also when another person sings it yeah, we saw Bob Dylan. When did we see? Was that like uh, four years ago? Up in, up in Bumbershoot. Yeah. And it would take about three minutes into the song before I could figure out <laughs> what's. And I'm not. It sounds like a joke, but I'm not. I'm just like, I'm not sure what that's. Oh, okay. That's what it right. is. It's tangled up in blue. Okay. Yeah, the but, melody. Uh, he writes these great melodies, but he doesn't necessarily sing them. <laughs> right. Or I like yeah, the once removed artists. Like I, I like Joni Mitchell, but I love how she's influenced Prince. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. I like, uh, yeah, that Joni Mitchell voice is crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it's like a, it's like it's like it's like a, an, an, a it's like a health drink. <laughs> it is. It reminds me of going to like an old school health food restaurant, you know, that smells like grass, grass, wheat grass, and yeah. the tables are sort of blonde wood. Like in New York City, there was a restaurant downtown like that that had like hanging plants hanging from the ceiling, mm-hmm. and you know, potted plants and things. <laughs> Talking about uh, Jerry Garcia and your and your and your daughter listening to Jerry Garcia. When you were growing up, was there music in the house? Oh, there was so much music in the house. I know I feel guilty. Everyone's like, "Are your parents professional musicians?" And I've heard other musicians talk about their parents in the way I'm like, "Oh, that's that's the way you say it." Somebody said something about how is how there was I don't know. They said it in a in a way that made them seem really special and, and musical. The way they mm-hmm. grew up, They're, like my dad played piano all the time in the house. He's a doctor, but he loved playing piano. But somebody like somebody said it in a way that just sounded so like earthy and glamorous and like I was really you know there's a lot of music in my house but anyway my mom my mom and my dad both listened to a lot of music we had record players that we could play music ourselves nice listen to the radio in the 70s a lot like um, soft pop and also not so soft pop like Queen yeah Elton John like I went to an Elton John concert when I was in 1977 or something Um, Elton John Queen Kiss um, there, there was just tons of music there was a lot of uh, classical music and my brother my older brother is a classical pianist so there's tons of classical music show tunes because my parents are sort of kids of the 50s and there's tons of show tunes um, 
all kinds of music. And then I, I became obsessed with music myself and I'm a huge record. I was a huge record collector and a DJ in high school. And did you have four, you had 45s? I had 45s and I had big albums and I would carry these big wooden crates to my radio show that I would host. I'd, I was, I mean, I still am. I was like five, two and carrying these huge crates at, at night into the boys school where there was like a radio show and we, I'd play records and I'd play local bands. I'd play everything. I, the record, it was kind of actually what, um, What's that radio station? Uh, the where they play all kinds of stuff. Um, they call themselves oh Jack like, FM. Ja- it was Jack kind FM. of like Jack without the that attitude. But it, my my little flyer that I made was like everything you always wanted to listen to but never bought, and it was like everything from Zeppelin to Thomas Dolby to local bands in Dallas. Um, I'd interview bands sometimes with my two friends, and um, yeah, I was one of the girls on the boys' radio station. Like nice. literally one of the girls, <laughs> and you were accepted <clears throat> into the boys' club. Yeah, of the of the radio station. It the, was cool. Uh, and uh, carrying, the, uh, if you've never had a crate of albums, that yeah. that is heavy. Yeah. yeah, a single album, not so much. A crate of albums. A crate of albums is now really I have heavy. An iPod. I can't imagine like it'd just be such a different world just having an iPhone full of songs. I yeah. know. When I was in college, and I would cart all it's my records thing, right? to college, and now everyone just has a docking station and their and their music they didn't pay for. <laughs> you punks. Um, <laughs> So what, uh, then do you remember what your earliest, uh, when did you start playing guitar? I started playing guitar. My initially I started playing guitar in school. They had these, uh, these, uh, nylon string guitars at the girl's school where I went and mm-hmm. they taught us some like Edelweiss, um, <laughs> talking about Heil here on, on the mic stands or Heil brand. Perfect. But, um, we learned like Edelweiss. We learned, oh, Stuball was a racehorse, like three chord songs. Uh-huh. And I was really interested in that. I mean, I was playing piano since I was a really little kid. I took two piano lessons a week. Um, when I was a very young child, like first, second, third uh-huh. grade, like a, a theory lesson, a group theory lesson and a private lesson. Yeah. Um, but along the way I got to learn guitar a little bit and then I switched officially from guitar. I mean, from piano to, to guitar when I was, uh, the summer between seventh and eighth grade, I, I just never practiced piano. I, I, the only time I practiced was when I was sitting next to my piano teacher at the lesson. And with a guitar, yeah. you can practice outside in your yeah. bedroom, anywhere. Although I'm not a big play outside person other than at summer camp. I'm, I'm more like, yeah, play in my bedroom. Right. Play, I played a lot of electric guitar and, and acoustic guitar. Um, acoustic ended up being more of my instrument of choice because it was quieter, I think, and I didn't want anyone to hear me in my room. Mm-hmm. Um, but playing at summer camp was another place that I, I loved playing music. Other campers showed me songs that they knew and counselors showed me songs. And I think it was when I realized that music was – it was just – awesome for a lot of reasons. There was a real fun social component to Mm -hmm. it, like playing with people for fun. There was like a fun performance aspect to it and a humor aspect to it. We'd make up skits and change the words to songs and all that kind of stuff and and perform live in front of people or perform, you know, in not necessarily perform, but play music for the other kids, like around a campfire or in a cabin or something. And then also I I started writing music. Um, I had started writing on piano, but I really started writing more when I had the privacy of being able to play in my own room in my own space. So at this point, it's just uh, it's just for fun. We, you yeah. weren't really thinking of it as a career at that point. I don't think I was. Although ever since I was a kid, I, I don't know if it was something that was in my family. That you know, mm-hmm. again, my my parents never thought it was a good idea to become a professional musician, but yeah. they were huge music fans. I mean, they some of their best memories were different concerts they'd gone to, or mm-hmm. musicians they'd met, or uh, you know, and, and that just continued. And um, and and they would take us to shows and and different you know musical theater and rock concerts and all kinds of stuff. Um, but I, I think I just was always interested in that life. Like my friends and I in high school, we'd go meet bands at record stores and interview them on, on film. And 
you know, I, I collected albums and books about music yeah. and just anything I could get my hands on about music. I mean, thank God it wasn't the internet world because I probably would have fallen into a, a black hole of right. information just and disappear in connecting. There. And I mean, we would, we'd have pen pals with other bands, people who loved the police or I was obsessed with Bowie. And then I'd buy like a Spanish version, you know, like the Spanish album version of it. And the, I, I was just completely obsessed with music and I didn't think of it as I'm going to be a musician. It yeah. still seemed there's something out of reach about it. Cause it's me, you know, being a professional musician, being an entertainer in general seems like a great idea, but it also seems out of reach at the same time. Yeah. But, but that, I think that even happens. You might agree. Like when you're in it, it still feels like really <laughs> special and a little out of reach and, you know, magical. Because if you want to be a school teacher or, or a doctor or something, you know, well, if I do this, this, and this, you think, yeah, you think I can yeah. be that, but yeah. with anything in the entertainment field, it's like, well, I, I don't know exactly. There's no rule book on how to do right. it or which way to go. Yeah. You put a quarter in and you might get the tattoo <laughs> that you wanted out of the machine. Exactly. You know, you don't know if you're going to get that one or not. And did you have, uh, in, in school then, did you, if they had, did they have like talent shows and stuff? Did you ever do that? Yeah, I did. I played in the talent shows at the girls' school and the boys' school. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was also in the dance, um, troupe, the dance group, um, at the school. And I finally had to stop when I was a sophomore and at the boys' school, we were doing one of their assemblies, dancing to Hungry Like the Wolf. I was like down on the ground <laughs> in tatters and rags and like high cut leotard that they sell now at Did American you Apparel. Leopard paint on Probably your face. Probably leopard paint and like punk hair and just down. It was like in a, totally inappropriate for school. And I was right in the front row and I was seeing guys who I was like in bands with or wanted to be in bands with. And I thought, oh no, spandex is not appropriate. This is not going to happen. I but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, I played in assemblies. I remember when I was president of student council, I was very subversive and I played um, <laughs> Rock and Roll Suicide by David Bowie. Um, yeah, that was my song. And that's, on that's on Ziggy. That's From, on Ziggy. Yeah, it was on Ziggy Start. And I played Space Oddity was a big one that my friend, my best friend Margaret and I, we were like the hollow notes. For some reason in high school and in college, I always had like a tall blonde uh -huh. singing partner. I was always Oats or <laughs> I sort of became Simon in a way because I was a songwriter, but uh, you know, Simon and Garfield. Oh, well, you're tiny. So you have to be, you have to be Oats and I'm you have Oates. to be And I was the backup Simon. singer most of the time. Yeah. But I was usually the backup singer and the guitar player. And where uh, and who were somewhere who who were your influence? Did you have like someone that you gravitated towards that you were like, oh, this is this is the kind of music I like? I think it was like David Bowie, especially Ziggy Stardust and Hunky Dory. Mm -hmm. um, I loved the Police. I don't think I thought I could be the Police, but right. there was just ah, oh, it was so cool. The Police. Um, that's why I started playing guitar because my two best friends each chose their favorite band member before I did. So my friend Margaret got Sting first <laughs> and then my friend Adrian got Stuart, the drummer, and I got Andy, the guitar player. So I, that was my thing, which I was probably going to do it anyway. But, it, you know, I was like, I was Andy. Um, and again, Andy's the shortest member yeah, of the band. So of again, course. You, yes, perfect. You're gravitating me, toward the short little the ones. Tiny yeah. people. With hair like Jimmy Page. My hair is sort of like Jimmy Page without product. But like Zeppelin, I loved. Hendrix, I loved. I listened to a lot of new wave stuff too, like The Cure, I loved. I don't know if that's new wave. Well, it's kind of like alternative. Yeah. Um, the Cure. Uh, I, there's so many bands. Like The Go Go's was cool because it was a girl mm -hmm. band that had a lot of energy and they were kind of edgy but cute at the same time. Um, this is interesting to me because um, the, the the people that you're naming, if someone said, who do you think Lisa Loeb's influences oh. are? I wouldn't have said David Bowie. I know, right? You know, it would have, I don't know what I would have said, but it wouldn't have been that. It would have been, I think James Taylor. I think Right, which I didn't even really know James yeah. Taylor. I knew you've got a friend, you, you've got a friend mm -hmm. 
And um, I think we had the best of James Taylor around the house, but I didn't really know that until maybe late in high school. I went to some acting program in London and there were East Coast people from the U.S. there uh-huh. and they knew like Cat Stevens, who I didn't really know, and they knew James Taylor and uh, all those singer-songwriters like Jackson Brown, people I, I didn't listen to. Right. I listened to the ELO and I listened to Olivia Newton-John and <laughs> I listened to the Beatles. Um, my mother used to buy Beatles records for a friend, a family. It was like a pretend cousin who loved the Beatles and she listened to them on albums. Um, she, and so my mom would buy the Beatles albums for her. And once uh-huh. she tried to buy cassette tapes for her to see if she could work with the cassette tapes instead of the albums and that didn't work. So we ended up with a white album at our house. <laughs> so that was something I listened to. And my best friend, Adrian, her dad was super into cool music, like some music you couldn't even like he had Zappa and stuff, but we didn't know because that was like hidden away. Right. <laughs> but he would help us watch things that, which it's funny musically. I don't know why. I guess it's just entertainment in general, but I was also inspired by things that he exposed us to like we watched a lot of Monty Python, um, Fernwood Tonight, uh, you know, just a lot of comedy as well as music. This is a pretty eclectic upbringing because the way when I, I was brought up in small town Pennsylvania, yeah. and w- my parents didn't have a, a Zappa record or a, <laughs> well, my or parents a didn't Monty either. Python or anything, but n- neither did anyone in the whole town. So right. even my friends didn't. I wasn't even exposed to it through friends. So what did you pretty, listen? What did you like? Gilligan's Island and uh, oh, Bruce Springsteen. Boy, or yeah, you know the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, and which I, is great. I knew the Eagles because and Fleetwood Mac used to scare me so badly. I listened to it on the radio <laughs> and I'd have to change a channel. Like I couldn't look at the stereo. I just had to change it because like Rihanna and it was about witches or something. <laughs> scared me. I know. And, but, and I listened to, um, you said Fleetwood Mac and what was the other? The Eagles. Oh, the Eagles. I did love the Eagles. I like one of these nights. Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. That was like grownups listen to that music. People yeah. who lived in like condos, like babysitters, <laughs> cousins who weren't married yet, or like aunts and uncles who weren't married yet, or teachers, they listened to Eagles and they lived in condos. And then my probably my, drank wine and macrame. And my uh then my parents it would be like it would either be like Andy Williams or Tammy Wynette or Dolly Parton or just That's pretty great too yeah. though. Like oh that was the other thing. Variety shows. Like mm. Marie um, Donnie and Marie. Marie. Oh my gosh. Carol Burnett show. Mm. Love Boat. Fantasy Island was a little like off brand for me. It was kind of like post of Kellogg's, right? It was like a little yeah. grown up y. It's a little scary. Again, kind of scary to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was always. Fantasy Island, because you're like, what's anything could happen here? Yeah. What if seemed- the guy makes the wrong <laughs> fantasy choice? It was sinister. Like, I thought they were, like, Love Boat's very happy and yeah. nice. And yeah. then. And off the shoulders dresses that were roughly. Yeah. And tattoos a little creepy. <laughs> but I love tattoo, but then once yeah. the story started, I get a little bored. Yeah. But so you were like more mainstream. I mean, I, yeah, I so felt just, like we were just, pretty mainstream yeah, too. Yeah. But. It's just where I was brought up. That's just the way it was. But, um, I think also sometimes like I grew up in Dallas in the eighties, mostly, I mean, seventies, eighties, mm-hmm. and it was a very conservative time period. It was Reagan era. Yeah. And so there were, and, and Dallas is a very conservative town for the most part. And, um, my Southern accent just came out for a second. <laughs> it's a very conservative part in town for the most part, but it was, I think, my friends and I were like a little on the outside of my parents um, and some of my parents' friends who were also Democrats. It was like, it, sometimes it's it's easier to know about the alternative when you're on the outside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it, and it was there and we knew it was there and it was almost easier to find because we weren't in the middle of it. Like in LA, there's alternative stuff everywhere, which is kind of great. Like, right. You, you don't have to stand out. You just get to enjoy your life. Yeah. I mean, or there's New so, York. Many, so many clubs and so many venues to yeah. where music is happening. I mean, venues that, cause I'm too old. I don't know where, I have no idea where's music happening. <laughs> um, so at, uh, so at what point or what age did you, did you actually vocalize it? Like, you know what? I think 
this is what I want to do for a living. I, I don't. I think it wasn't until college, at the end of college, when I think there became a time when my parents were like, "Well, what are you going to do?" And 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 I feel like I had to tell them at some point, "Well, I'm I'm a musician." It wasn't like, "What am I going to do?" It's like, "I well, I'm a musician. I'm yeah. going to New York. I'm I'm going to be a musician. I, well, you're not going to go back to school right now. No, no, I'm going to be a musician and see if that works first, um, because that's sort of what I they they had seen me in college playing in front of like large crowds. I'd already played in New York city and Los Angeles. There was some record company interest. Like I was into the security, like they were for me to, you know, like I, yeah. I wanted a secure feeling of security too. So I had really learned a lot about the music business, had played concerts, had mm-hmm. met music industry people. Um, I, I, I felt a certain amount of knowledge and confidence, not like this is, I felt like th- things were happening already. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it just sort of was something I was already doing. And what did you major in in college? Comparative literature, which was not a good idea. <laughs> it wasn't a good idea. I mean, like, it's funny because when you go to college, I, I, I'd like to talk to, I should probably talk to college students or high school students about this. When you go to college, I mean, it's my perspective. It's my opinion that if you, you want to study what you love yeah, and, and I mean, it might not apply out though to, to people who are interested in computer sciences or science, science where things where they really need that knowledge, that specific knowledge and skill set that they might learn from classes. But otherwise in college, I think you want to learn how to communicate better and how to find what you love. And I think in retrospect, you know, I could have taken music. I, I don't know if that would have been a good major for me, but, or theater would probably would have been a better one. You can learn about history, reading, writing, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things through that, the eyes of something you really love. As opposed to doing something, well, I, I thought it was a good idea to have a liberal arts degree, so I I was a comp lit major, which was just like, unfortunately, avoiding doing anything, trying to just get through it, which is not a good, you know, you should never just be trying to get through things unless you 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 know there's certain amount of um, discipline you need and and but I, I think it's important to. To, to enjoy your life, to be happy and to learn about life and other people and culture and history through something you love. But like you didn't, what, you didn't think about being a music major in college. No, I mean, I'd studied a lot of music too, um, in, in high school and a little bit in college and I, it didn't completely resonate with me yeah. that like studying theory and orchestration, I was able to study a lot of music in college. I, I was able, we had this great class. Um, it was the recording studio class and it started, you had to take like electronic music and learn how to use the synthesizers and stuff. But then after you took one semester of that, you could get into the recording studio class, which basically meant recording your own music and sitting with other students who were doing the same and critiquing each other. And there had been a change right before I got there, which was the, the students used to have to write more classically based, uh, music and often electronic classically based Mm -hmm. music. But some of the other students had convinced this teacher that it was it was okay to do pop music, that it was okay to do other kinds of music, that it was valid. So there were all these other musicians who I really admired, who I was very challenged by because you know I wanted to rise to their level of, uh-huh. of writing. And also we were able to record our own music. So it was the technical side of recording. Um, it was still you know tape. We were recording on tape. Uh, having other students listening to us, which is almost scarier sometimes than teachers. Right. And I did that for four semesters. And, and there were other musicians like Duncan Cheek, who's a professional musician who was in my class, or Marco Beltrami, who's a, um, a big movie score. He does movie scores, like a lot of really talented folks, uh, that it, it really helped me become a, a better professional musician. And I didn't end up studying music. 
I was studying other things and playing concerts. Right. And, and do you have it? You do you have any of that music on tape? Still? I do. I do. That's pretty cool. I do. Although I will say, also recording myself sometimes keeps me from writing songs, and and that's not right either. Exactly. <laughs> it's like it, it, a lot of people go in and they love to like create songs in the studio, yeah. but I like to write them and then go into the studio. Sorry, what? Uh, just uh, so people know, where did you go to college? Oh, I went to Brown University. Oh, nice. And there was a lot of there was a lot of interesting people. That was the best thing, just being around a lot of interesting people who yeah. had varied interests, and they could have an academic and an artistic interest at the same time, which was new to me. I didn't know a lot of people like that in Dallas. It was kind of again, you know, more conservative people. Yeah. Tell us what it was like being in the sorority house. The sorority house was wild. <laughs> it's crazy. So yeah, uh, no, no sorority house. Uh, so. The first time that people really heard of Lisa Loeb is from the Reality Bites soundtrack. You know, right. I'm talking about oh, yeah. worldwide. Yes, that was huge. Yes. So I've heard uh, I've heard stories how the song uh, got to be in the uh, in the soundtrack, but I, I I don't know if I have the correct information. So I'll ask you because maybe you'll have the correct information. I think I do. <laughs> I think I know the story. Once upon a time, um, the. The story was that Ethan Hawke is a friend of mine, okay. and we met through another friend in college who they had been in the movie Alive together, the one where the plane crashes and they, they eat each other. They eat each other. But I saw that movie. It freaked me out. Um, but so I met Ethan, and he, we were neighbors. We lived across the street from each other, and we, we hung out with a bunch of different musicians and playwrights. And, and this is in New York? In New York City, okay. yeah, with like um, – other actors and, and songwriters. And there was just like an artistic community. We all hung out and supported each other. Um, and, and along the way, Ethan was in the movie Reality Bites. And first he actually asked me, he plays a guy who's in a band. So he asked me if I could take a, a try. I guess I didn't know that this is how it worked, but, it, but in movies often they ask a lot of different musicians to write the same song to see who will, you know, whose song works best. So that he asked me if I would write a song called I'm Nothing for his character. Okay. But a bunch of different bands had been asked to do that, including Violent Femmes and I don't remember who else. But uh, they didn't choose my version of I'm Nothing. Um, and then after that, he asked me for uh, a, some of my songs to pass along to Ben Stiller, who directed the movie and who was one of the writers on the movie, I think. And um, Ben chose my song Stay. It was on a cassette tape with some other songs that I used to perform. Um, they were recordings we did in the studio and they chose the song stay to be in the movie. And then the people at RCA, uh, chose the song to be on the soundtrack. And so that's how it got onto the movie and the soundtrack. And it, and it was in the movie, but it wasn't in the movie till the very end. It was like the last title and title credit song. Right. And it was really exciting. And, uh, I quit my temp job and just, I was like, this isn't a really real, uh, like I had some demo deals at the time where, you know, record companies would give you money to record stuff. And so I was on some compilations of, of like smaller labels, but this was like a really big deal. I was really excited about it. And it went to number one. And it ended up going to number one, which was huge. And without, without actually being signed to a label, you were the, I was not actually signed to a label. You were the first artist for that to happen to. I was. Yeah, it was. And still only, or is that? Um, Macklemore. Oh, right, right. Macklemore has just had a song. It's funny, too, because I think his um, number one song highlights the fact that, I mean, it's a different world. It, it, you, it used to be that you get your songs out through a record label. Right. Which I actually also did. My song was on a compilation on RCA Records. I was not signed to them. I didn't put a record out through them. It, but they did have a radio promotion department. And although it was really magical and surprising, especially in retrospect, that an actor who I'm friends with got a song to the director of a movie and he actually said yes. And it 
actually got onto the record and then mm. a radio station actually decided to start playing it yeah. without it being promoted to them. There are a lot of magical elements about the story, but in the end there was a record company promoting the song once it started being played on the radio and there was a team who helped that happen. And I think like that, like Macklemore, you can make a record and you can put it out yourself, but you do end up hiring radio promotion people in. I mean, I'm not sure his exact story, but probably radio promotion people and PR people and internet promotion people and it's a team it's a team effort well for 20 years you held on to that title oh yeah and it is it is an independent thing and it it is a really big deal like there a lot of things change in the music business when that happened because record companies realized that they need to to sign their acts or else they don't have the rights to those songs right well let's hear some of it yeah i can do that wonder if people ever heard this before i think people probably heard this This song is kind of, um, this is kind of like, yeah, you were born to run. Like, you have to play this. I do. And it's you, funny you, listening to the recording. I actually, I play it faster live. Like, mm-hmm. I to hear it that slow, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Whenever the band plays it together and, the, and my drummer Ronnie is like, it's, he starts it, I always turn around. I'm like, it's slow, it's slow. And he's like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's right. But it's interesting to hear that tempo. And also, I can't believe, even when I listen to it just now, I don't sit around and listen to the song very much. Um but when I listen to it, I still can be transported to the place when we were making the video. Um, it was a one-take video that right. Ethan came up with the, the idea. Ethan Hawke decided to make – he wanted a one-take video, and he showed me kind of the choreography of how it would work and where the camera would be. And uh, he hired a great um, cinematographer to do it uh, with Steadicam. And, uh, and, and it was hard because it, I actually had to do a, a series of – I had to be in certain places at certain times. Mm-hmm. And it was literally one take. So it was like a, a game, you know, to be able to hit all the points where I had to be. But when I hear that, it still has that feeling. It's very strange. You still think of where you were supposed to stand. Exactly. Like, yeah, I got to get there. Seriously, <laughs> it's like where I have to be. And, and, and it, 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 you know, I know I hear people tell me it brings them back to different places in their life. But it still brings me back to different mm-hmm. places in my life, too. And how many times cool. didn't you hit your mark that day? How many times did <laughs> um, you I, blow the take? I blew the take. Um, I, I don't remember exactly. Probably a handful. But we, we did record it. I, I should find out. Probably like eight times or 12 times we went through the song. Um, it's it's Yeah, it's hard to get that in one take. And if Ethan Hawke's listening, uh, I just want you to know that this whole show today is one take. <laughs> That's true. So, um, so there. So, you know. So Wait. as my daughter would say, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and I say, that is not a nice melody. We can't sing a melody. That's a teasing melody. Uh, so stay goes to stay goes to number one. And now the record companies come looking for you. The record companies, I had already been sort of in with the record companies mm-hmm. like for years and years, probably since 1989 or so, right before I graduated college, there were 
record labels that were interested. And so I had started to meet lots of people and there were a lot of uh, sort of, you know, younger A&R people, people I'd meet at the big music festivals like South by Southwest and New Music Seminar in, in New York City, people who were interested in, and who kept getting my music and, and mm-hmm. showing interest and they were really excited. And this was the thing, though, that definitely made their bosses more interested. And they, finally, they were like, oh, OK, yeah, bring the girl, you know, bring her in. Let me talk to her. So uh, so through the process of the song going up the charts, that's when definitely all the phones started ringing and literally ringing because it was old school when phones rang and, <laughs> you know, get messages on a machine. And then it, my song was at number one when I signed the deal with Geffen Records. So and it was funny because I ended up signing with somebody who was an A and R person I met way earlier on, like years before that, who had been interested. Well, I think the reason I signed with him was because he was interested in my music from years before that. It wasn't just like, oh, you have a number one song, mm-hmm. I want to sign you. It was somebody who I felt like they got what I was doing and they understood what I was doing, which was really important to me as a real musician. <laughs> and was um, so the first album is uh, first official album was Tales. Yes, and it was billed as Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. Is there yes. is there a Nine Stories? There is. My band is Nine Stories. It's Ronnie Crawford on drums and Joe Quigley on bass. And right now, guitar wise, I, I keep changing guitar players. There's a, a handful of different guys mm-hmm. I play with. Um, right now, I've been playing with a guy named Johnny Polanski. Um, but I played with Matt Beck and Mark Spencer. I play with a lot, and I played with Tim Bright. I had a, a lot of different people I've played with. And at the time I said Lisa Loba Nine Stories because earlier on when I was in college and right after college I had a group called Liz and Lisa. And at the time there was different women with acoustic guitars like Suzanne Vega uh-huh. and different people who are out there and I felt like it was important to establish the fact when I was playing with Liz too we wanted to establish the fact like we have a band. We're not a folk act. I right. d- I don't listen to folk music really. We're not folk artists you know elvis costello when you hear his name you hear his whole band in your head you know you hear the the keyboards and the drums but when you hear a woman's name you think oh it's a folk guitar player so from from earlier on until when that album tales came out i made it a point to make sure that the band was included so people knew it was a band it wasn't i wasn't a pop singer and i wasn't a folk singer that was really important to me at the time by the time the next record came out Things had changed a lot. Cheryl Crow was out for a while. Yeah. There were a lot of other artists out that, that were able to show that there was a lot of different types of, of sounds you could have and not be a folk singer and be a woman with a guitar. And and it just seemed, since I was writing all the music and producing it or co-producing it, that it, it was okay just to have my name, even though I do play with my band. Yeah. So whenever whenever you have a band with you, it's always nine yes, stories, no exactly. matter who's... It's like Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Exactly. Whoever's in the Blackhearts at that time yeah. is... It's Although the there are certain people like Joe who I've been playing with since 1988 or 87, 88. So. And, and, uh, and you're saying there's a little bit of sexism, sexism in the uh, record business. Now, oh, well, <laughs> there was, I mean, there, there is, there was, there's, there always will be, but it, you know, it's funny as a mom, as a new mom mm-hmm. and, and trying to figure out a touring schedule, um, and talking to other people who are dads with kids also right. who tour, I, I feel like the moms have it and it, it's a different thing. Like it feels weird as a mom to be away from your kids. And and personally, I think it's, I, I prefer for them to stay in sort of their routine. When they get a little older, I think it'll be great to take like tours with the kids and yeah. go see things in different cities during the day. But I feel like you really are more tied to home. And so it, it's, it's a larger picture thing. You know, the, the, it, it, it's hard being a working mom. I know it's hard being a working dad, but that's just more, and, and there are tons of working moms, but it's still really different, I think. And, and I'm trying to figure it out. I talk to moms about it. but And, and of course, the yeah, other is sexism, sexism in the music business. But I think it's it's just the world. Like 
people often want to see girls wearing short skirts or, you know, lots of cleavage and guys, they don't care about that kind of stuff as much. They, they just don't care. It's just different. Right. I, 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 that's I don't why know you, what can, to you say. can look like you can look like Keith Richards and be cool. <laughs> I know, and, it, and he's and he does wear a lot of makeup though. But even it, it's always even frustrating, like um, you know, when you uh, when like when I'm getting ready to go on television or even just play a, sh- a concert with my, my with my band, I have to spend the amount of time that it takes a lady to get ready because I like to put on makeup and I like to put on an outfit, and it takes time. And the guys they just change their shirt and they're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> and it's it's like ah, oh, it's. And, and it's hard because I look like I look at somebody. It's funny. I did a, a project once, um, Rugrats, the, the movie Rugrats. They had a bunch of different musicians come in and sing a line on a song. And one of the other musicians was Patti Smith. And I remember it was very funny because my manager was calling to see they were they were going to be shooting B roll. You know, they were shooting uh-huh. with a camera. And uh, at that time, and probably less now because budgets are, are so so low now. You'd ask if the production company or whoever was paying for this this B roll to be shot if they would pay for hair and makeup. Cause if you're going to be on camera, you want to look like yourself and most people to look like themselves, even if it looks natural, it usually took a lot of work and makeup and hair to, yeah. to get there. And so we asked, uh, we reached out to, to one of the other women. I think one of the only other women was Patty Smith. So we reached out to her people to see like, you know, do they have a budget for hair and makeup? And, uh, that was just probably a ridiculous thing to do because I show up and see Patty Smith and she's one person who her persona and her personality is she doesn't wear hair and makeup. No, she's like her. She's not wearing makeup, you know, and uh, she combs her hair with a blender. I, I don't know, you know, but it's, it's part of her per- persona is that's her. But I am from Dallas and we wear lipstick when we yeah. leave the house. So it, w- it was funny. It was like. There is a double standard, but that's just the world. And that's sort of also, I think women, how they see themselves. I think women can do anything they want. You know, we can not wear our makeup or get our hair done or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, My wife, she, she, she gets ready. I do too. And I've, I've gone through phases where like, I'm not going to put all that makeup on, on stage. They can't see me. They can't see me from that far away anyway. And it just, sometimes it's great because it just feels like comfortable. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't feel special enough. And sometimes they have one of those cameras on you. So even though you're really far away, <laughs> there's your face really huge Extreme. above the stage, yeah. huge screen. You're like, yes, that's me. And I'm not wearing makeup. <laughs> well, of all the artists we've had in here, I'm looking at you. You, you look exactly how you look. You know oh, what I mean? Thank you. I agree with that. Like whenever you, you don't know, she might have spent four hours to get to this. I, I spent so much. You know how much I spent getting my <laughs> hair like this today. Um, we saw it. You took the thing out, and then that was it. Yeah, yeah. I took my hair down. Let's uh, let's play. I want to play. Uh, I want to play some more music because that's okay. that's what I like to do. I like to play music so that if people aren't familiar with you or they're only familiar uh, of a couple of songs here and there, I like them to go, "Hey, what's that?" I'm going to go seek that out. So let's play. Uh, let's play from Tales. Let's play Snow Day. Cool. Feels like a snow day in L.A. in the morning. Yeah. I know it's so cold. It's 64. <laughs>
See, what I like about your music is, is uh, it's like right here and you think you're getting this where people would say like, oh, she's a folk artist. And then, boom, it starts to rock. And I love that. I got a kick in the rock. Yeah, I love it. Um, so uh, Tales comes out in 1995. And then uh, a couple years later, Firecracker comes up. Comes yes. out. And uh, she had a lot of orchestration on it, which I was really excited about. Yeah. Huge and, orchestra. And then uh, the, the cover is this your idea? It's kind of a, kind of a, uh, what do you want to call it? It's sexed a, up. Do I say sexed up? Yeah, it is. It's like a 1960s um, illustration yeah. for a, like a novel or a, or a commercial or, or like an ad. And it was actually. Did you po- You actually pose for this? Did someone draw this? Not exactly. Okay. I, I you know I'm kind of obsessed with my album covers and I'm always really involved and I work with the, the art, the, the directors. Like on Tails, it was a picture of a cat's face. It was actually supposed to be a, a, a picture of a, a cat chasing its tail. Um, but it was really hard to get an illustrator mm-hmm. to do that. It, we had so many people try it and it didn't work. But for the second one, for Firecracker, um, I had been in Amsterdam at some point and been to this cool postcard store where they have like, it's kind of like amoeba of postcards, like this huge warehouse of postcards. And I'd picked out a few postcards, which were in that same style. That's uh, 1960s kind of romance novel look. Yeah. And, um, I kept them forever. And at some point during the recording of firecracker, Juan Patino, who co-produced the record and who I was dating at the time, we went to a vineyard to take a break. We went up to this vineyard in upstate New York. And they had a, a museum in the back, and we went to go look in this little museum, and there were there were the paintings of those postcards that, that I had picked out. Oh, that's cool! And it was really weird. I was like, "What's the deal?" And it turned out the guy who owned the the uh, the Ben Marl Vineyard he was an illustrator in the '60s, and he had all these great paintings in the back. And I thought, "Oh my gosh, it's like one of my favorite eras." This one painting in particular was my favorite salmon pink and white. And I, I just loved the whole, like the, the whole sex kitten thing of Anne Margaret and that whole era. It just, it, it affects me physically. I, I just love it. That's exactly what it feels like. Like Anne Margaret. Yeah, when it's, I look it's at like it. the, and it's, and it was funny cause that, that picture was actually called kitten and it, it was somebody else's face on the picture. And so we asked, uh, if, if we could get, we tried to do a new painting uh-huh. and, um, the illustrator was a lot older at this point than he was when he had done this stuff in the sixties and we weren't able to achieve what we were looking for. So finally we decided to take advantage of modern media and, and the, the tools that we had. And we, we took my face and had it, we, we worked it out. So it looked like it was part of the painting. So it was actually like, like a painting of me in that era. It was like a dream come true. I was like in that era. <laughs> it's a very cool album cover and it, it totally works. And especially with the title firecracker. Yeah. Like you're a little firecracker. <laughs> exactly. I was just, oh, it was so exciting. I love that album cover. And it's funny because when we made my video for I Do, I loved the artwork from the, the firecracker album so much. We had recreated I, the whole thing. Like when you open up the booklet, there's pictures of the bands and there's kind of op art, pop art in, inside and really nice, serious looking black and white photos, kind yeah. of like a Bob Dylan picture of a serious singer songwriter. And we recreated those images in the video of I Do. So it was funny. We kind of went backwards. We had the artwork from First, and then we went backwards and recreated it for the video of I Do. Let's, uh, let's listen to I Do. Uh, this is a song. I always forget about this song. And then when I hear it, I'm like, ah, I love this song. Oh, thank you. When I'm done with thinking, then I'm done with you. And when I'm done with crying, and then I'm done with you. Done with you. 
After the uh, after the Tales album, was there was the record company like okay now we gotta was it like a was there, was it in motion where they like okay now we gotta get this gotta get another album out yeah I mean it was just the normal progression though it wasn't it wasn't like a rush it, okay it, it, I think getting Tales out was more of the rush because the song Stay came out and and we had to finish up all the contracts with the people I was working with and get the business in order and finally record the album and that came out like a year later than we would have liked it to okay. and sign a record deal but anyway with Firecracker I, I did a lot of touring with the, with the record Tales and, and it just takes a while to go to Japan and go to Australia and go to all these countries um, and we finally recorded Firecracker which also took its time it was very much like the Fleetwood Mac like taking a lot of time in the right. studio making sure everything's perfect um, and, and we got the album out. But it was funny, with the song I Do, actually, I, we had recorded a lot of the songs, and I was really excited and happy with the way it was turning out. And for the first time, I was, unlike a first record where you come to the table with all these songs and you pick them and you put them out, it was a situation where the record company did that very typical, stereotypical thing, which is, we need a single. <laughs> they came back to me, they're like, we need a single. I'm like, are you kidding me? You need a single? Like, I, I was so frustrated because I had had the song stay was such a big hit and it was without a record you know it was like we made the song I wrote the song we recorded almost the entire song without anybody involved from a record company perspective and so I felt like we can do it ourselves like what I can't believe they're asking us for a single like what am I going to do and that is actually when I wrote the song I do which is about the record company asking me to write a single like you don't hear it but I do like you don't hear a single on my record but oh I nice do. oh that's cool like there are other songs mm-hmm. it's funny I, I remember listening to Sarah Bareilles' song um, I'm not gonna write you a love song mm-hmm. I, I think that's what it's called and I was listening to the lyrics the first time I heard that I'm like that's about the record company and then I looked it up <laughs> on Wikipedia and she's like it's about the record company <laughs> but it's this thing it's like it inspired me to write this song which when I sing it I probably think of it half the time as like a love song or a breakup song and half the time as a frustrated corporate, you know, with whatever I'm frustrated with at the time. There's probably so many songs written about record companies. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm sure because you get so frustrated. It, it, it's, it's just the weirdest feeling. You feel like a teenager. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and yet you're trying to be respectful because you want to, you know, put, keep putting records out and have that support of this record label. Who's got these great people working there. Um, but artistically it's frustrating. Well, then let's listen to one that hopefully uh, Lisa brought to the table without uh, record executive bigwigs being jerks. Let's try uh, Wishing (laughs) Heart. Oh, yeah, that was an oldie, but a goodie. No teacher to follow, no prophet to tell me how, but I know what I want. I know what I want now. Like water, it rushes, it's the last thing you see when you close your eyes. It's one place you want to be But if it doesn't brush my shoulder And it doesn't beat my heart That's not what I want, no That's not where I will start I never kissed somebody So that they would break my heart That's not what I want You don't know what you're missing Cause you don't know where to start Follow your wishing heart I was restless, I was restless, I was restless, I was Love the drums on that Oh, thank you. You know, that was funny recording Wishing Heart because I, I definitely, ever since I was uh, in, in college making albums, I would wait till I had about, you know, 11, 12, 13 songs yeah. written and we'd make a record, whether it was my friend Liz and I or, or later me on my own. And that was a song that I had had from when I used to sing with Liz, but I, it was a song I always wanted to put on a record. So it was interesting taking some of those songs I had done in the band Liz and Lisa and sort of reapproaching them so that they were a different song, like a different you know, a new approach to different the song. Feel. And that was a, a very different feel than what I had expected. Um, 
and, and it was a lot of fun to play with the soaring melodies and uh, taking it out of our folk duo world and putting it into this other world. Cool. Who did, uh, when you were touring with Firecracker, were you headlining shows? Were you supporting other acts? I think everything. It's it's, it's funny. It's still the same right, like it is right now. Like I, I'll go out and support other bands like everyone from, I think, was Firecracker? I might have been supporting like Lyle Levitt, um, Sarah McLaughlin, but also doing headlining shows. Yeah. Um, I've, I've opened for like everyone from the Goo Goo Dolls to cool in the gang. <laughs> That's probably a weird radio show, but yeah. I mean, you know, you do these radio shows where you put together with bands. Um, but, uh, but, but it's always interesting to see the different kind of fans you get when you're opening for another band or headlining a show. And they're both, you know, they both can work. I think, do you know the, the thing I think that makes the biggest impact is the venue for me. Like if I'm with my band mm-hmm. or playing, especially playing solo acoustic, uh, if there's a seated venue, whether it's opening for the Goo Goo Dolls or playing by myself or whatever it is, it those are the best yes. audiences and, and the audiences make sense. Yeah. I saw you open for, I think, Heart at the Greek Theater. Yeah. I think you were just solo exactly, acoustic. Yeah. That was a great show. That, and what a, what a interesting pairing. Like I, I'm a huge fan of theirs and even mm-hmm. more so after I saw them live, they did Zeppelin and yeah, they're, they're all amazing. of a sudden I was like, Oh yeah, they sound like Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while. <laughs> and, um, you know, to watch, to watch Nancy play electric guitar, oh, I mean, awesome. you don't get to see that much. No. And, and, you, you, and you forget, like you don't think of it cause you think of them as like, they write a lot of pop songs and they're this rock band, but you forget like they're, and that happens a lot with live bands. You, yeah. you have this concept of them and then you see them and and they actually are full musicians with all this other all these other songs. Yeah, they're in charge. Yeah, that's that's their band. It's not. Uh, yeah, the the women are in charge, Matt. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so uh, then, in 2002, uh, it's about five years later, and you're on a new label now, right? Right. You're not on Geffen anymore. You're not oh, on A and M. I was on. Geffen, I moved to Interscope. Interscope, and yeah, it's they, kind it of all under they perch, the yeah, same like, umbrella. Exactly. I was okay. on Interscope A&M for mm-hmm. Cake and Pie. Yes, that's right. And Cake and Pie oh, comes out. five years later? 2002, 97, and then 2002. Jeez. Oh, yeah. It took a long time. Yeah. Because I was recording. I had written a bunch of different songs. Okay, I started dirt. to do here's co-writing. I started to, to co-write, which I hadn't done a whole lot of. Uh-huh. Um partially because I was coming up with a lot of things on my own and partially because as a writer, I just was against co-writing. I was like, I'm going to do it myself, like this egocentric thing. And then I, I started thinking about a lot of bands I like and so much co-writing goes on. And it, it it's just, you have to find the right partners to write with and it's it's magical. You create songs. But um, so I started writing and doing different things and, uh, and with Interscope, I was writing and recording. And then I, I think I was dating Dweezil Zappa and recording with him also, mm-hmm. um, even though we weren't going to record together because we were dating and that, um, but we couldn't help record together because I, I liked what he was doing and he liked what I was doing. And we made a good team for working together in the studio and we'd record and we'd go into the mix. Like I remember one time in particular, we went to mix the record with Bob Clear Mountain, who's like a major mix engineer. Yeah. Worked with Springsteen and, and yeah, all Springsteen kinds of people. Springsteen and Brian Adams yeah, and, uh, Rufus Wainwright, like all across the board, Amy Mann, um, and Jimmy Iovine, like the head of the record company came in to hear the mix session. And he was like, yeah, that's great. Like, like this is a, like this is a single or, you know, he said something that was, this is a hit or this is a whatever. And, uh, and then we'd play it for another sort of head person at the label, some songs and then they'd say, yeah, this is a standout track. And, and then like a couple weeks later, I'd go in for a meeting. They're like, well, when are you going to start recording the album? 
It's like, whoa, this is strange. You know, like, I don't know. This is what my mom's talking about when she's like, well, is there, can you get a college degree in the music industry? Yeah. I'm like, no, you can't. It's, it's a, it's a mystery. I, it was really frustrating being somebody who was very proactive. I'm a very direct person for the most part. For the most part, um, but I, I, you know, I, I like when they, they. I would prefer. I, I would have preferred for them to say, "What you're doing is not what we're interested in." Right. Goodbye. But instead, it's like, "Oh yeah, that's a great song. We'll just write a little bit more." You know, this this like process, and it was it was frustrating because, you know, I had been in the grind of touring and recording and all this, so it was nice in a way to be spending a lot of time in Los Angeles. But it was really frustrating and weird to be writing and recording and making all these songs, which I thought were just as good or better than anything I had done. And as an artist, you want to just put music out, put the right. album out and then put another album out and just keep working. And, and you feel like it's frustrating too. Cause you keep thinking, well, it's almost, it's, it's almost done. Cause they keep acting like, well, it's almost done. So you, you don't think about how time is passing. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, two and a half years has already passed. Yeah. Like the, the record's not going to come out for another year when it is done. Like what? Uh, and then they put that self doubt in your head to where you're like, well, wait, what? So well, the stuff that I did before, did I they not like more, that either? Or what's yeah, going no, on? I, I think I felt more self-doubt about uh, them. You know, like just more doubt about, well, are they... Oh, they don't know what and, they're and doing. And it's one of these things too, where they're a major label and they're, th- yeah. when they're behind you and they're doing, and they're, and they're supporting your music, it's a great thing. But being lost in the, in the, in that area, which I had heard other musicians were in that area before, but I wasn't going to be there. And all of a sudden there I was. And then it was really cool. Cause this guy, Ron fair came in, who was the one who had put my song stay on reality bites. Oh, cool. He came in to be head of a and M records and he was going to help us out. And he had us record a new song. I think a new song and re-record two songs that we had already done, which I was really frustrated about because we were going to spend more money than I had already spent recording mm-hmm. the entire album, just recording a couple songs. And I thought what we already had was great, but I decided just to go for it and try to, you know, do what they wanted me to do, work with them, do the thing. So we did. And I was like, okay, now this is going to finally happen. And they put the record out and they just kind of let it didn't go. do anything. And all of a sudden I got a call from, uh, Daniel glass and Danny Goldberg, these really big music mm-hmm. industry people who had started their own label called Artemis. And they said, we want to put your record out. We want to put that record out that you just put out on Interscope called cake and pie with and underlined. Cause you should have cake and pie when asked if you want them it's philosophy of life but so anyway i was like you know what i yes let's go work with these other guys who are really into the record because this is sort of not working so even that was weird i kept trying to call the people at the record label to say hey you know is it okay i'm gonna go to this other label i i'm gonna go to another label now is that okay and literally could not nobody would call me back it's the weirdest thing like no people don't want to say no they don't want to I think in retrospect, they don't want to say no. They don't want to make a decision. And they're probably busy with other things. Um, They had a lot of other records coming out and all that. But finally, I left the label and I I took my my record to this other label that really wanted to put it out. And so we re-released it. As Hello Lisa with a couple and, different tracks on it. And they the the label let you take it. They didn't yeah. like say they let us take it. That's it was re- some, and that was actually really nice. Good, though. Yeah. And, and it's funny because that actually is nice. And it was funny too because for some reason the anger of of being stuck in that area of the Netherlands or the whatever you call it. it I I was just excited to move on and keep you know do the record again and, and put it out with another label. Well, let's listen to, um, this is a song you co-wrote uh, with Dweezil, and this is called Underdog. I like 
Fade it because I'm like, oh, I'm getting into the song now. No, and then I'm like, but wait, the orchestra comes in and there's all these cool guitar licks that Dweezil plays. And yeah. Dweezil was an amazing guitar player. He's a really great guitar player. And I think it was a good match for us because he had done a lot of guitar music and was getting into writing like regular songs um, that had guitar playing in them. And so it was a way for him also to play on music that was songs. And, and also he was getting into producing and, and I always wanted more and more electric guitar on my records. So it was fun to actually work with somebody who was an electric guitar player and get all that guitar on my records. Now, let me ask you, when you re-release it as Hello Lisa, how are you able to use the Hello Kitty on your album cover? I, I would think that that up. would be... I like calling people up. Okay. I, I had actually worked with, for some reason I had already met the head of marketing for Hello Kitty in the United States. Uh, I, I don't remember. Oh, I think at some point they sent me a rice steamer. Hello Kitty Rice Steamer okay. through my agency. It was one of those like marketing things where they just, you know, they'll send different musicians or celebrities. How do, things. Yeah, how do they know and you And I contacted want a them. Rice I was steamer. like, oh my God. I think they knew I was a Hello Kitty fan because I'm obsessed with. I don't know why they want, why they would think I would want a rice steamer. <laughs> um, waffle Maker, I could understand. Rice Steamer, I'm not so sure. Maybe Although, they, they thought you maybe eat a little more healthy. But I will say <laughs> that Rice Steamer is much more, it, it feels really special to have a rice steamer. Yeah. And we actually use it a lot still. But so back in the day, they sent me a rice steamer and. I loved it, and it started our um, professional relationship with Hello Kitty. I was already a huge fan of Hello Kitty since 1977 and a big collector. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, I would just buy everything, and it was so exciting. I couldn't believe they reached out to me. It was like, oh, my God. I, I actually ended up getting to meet the person who designed Hello Kitty in the first yeah. place. And got I'm into that whole world, and I, I know some of the people who create the characters now. And Anyway, they so they had reached out to me, and I, I had, had kept a good relationship with those guys. And when I, when I moved to Artemis Records... Um, they wanted me to come up with different artwork, even though we had spent so much time coming up with this great artwork that was, again, another like nod to poster art from like the 60s, um, where it was a picture of me eating a spoon, uh, having a fork, and in the fork, the words were cake and pie, kind of like a Tijuana brass band little logo, and there were pictures of me with pie all over the in the um, artwork, cake and pie. It was delicious. Anyway, I, I, I wanted to sort of reuse that artwork. No, I didn't want to reuse that work. Uh, when they said they wanted new artwork and to change a couple songs, yeah. I was in Vegas for some reason uh, playing concerts and I had to come up with a new idea. And then it popped into my head. I'm like, that would be hilarious to have it be called Hello Lisa and it's just Hello Kitty with glasses on. And this was bef- way before the, the now popular Hello Kitty with glasses yeah. and different versions of Hello Kitty. And so I called up Bill Hensley, the guy who was the marketing guy, and I said, I have this idea. I don't know if you're going to say yes. And I was so nervous because I was like, ah. You know, will they say yes? This is such a cool thing, and it'd be a cool like extra marketing thing too, because right. people who you know they love Hello Kitty like I do, it'll be perfect. And I asked him, and he said, "Well, let me make a few calls." And he called the the Japanese folks uh, in charge over there, and they said, "Yes, you could do it, but we just have to make sure there's a picture of you and Hello Kitty on the cover, because people have to know there's a difference between the two of your faces." <laughs> 
So, you know, the brand had to be established. Um, so we, we did end up getting that. And a bonus was the folks at the Hello Kitty at the Sanrio Company up in Northern California. They helped design the, album, the new album artwork, which was a really big deal. Um, and they, they actually gave us certain artwork we could use on our website. And, and it was a really cool thing. Yeah, when I, the first time I saw that, I was like, "How did she possibly get the licensing rights to have?" No, they gave them Hello to me. Kid. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, they're big fans. It was awesome, and I ended up getting to go to Japan and and attend the MTV Music Awards with Hello Kitty, and uh, <laughs> that was the weirdest thing I think in my entire life. And uh, and Artemis, they 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 pushed the album more than no. the, the other land. <laughs> <laughs> that was a special thing. They didn't end up pushing the record like they. Had given me the impression that they might. I remember Artemis because the Pretenders were on Artemis. And a lot of people were on Artemis. So it was like, cool, just, everybody's going there. Nothing, These great people are. And then it just kind of fizzled. Just didn't, it didn't work. And, and those kind of situations are frustrating, too, because as a musician, yeah. you're like, well, do people not like the music? Or did we miss our opportunity marketing-wise somehow? Or did I not hire enough independent promotion? Which cost a kajillion dollars, basically. Yeah. Um, it was it was weird to think that this record, which had Hello Kitty on the on the cover, this, Hello Kitty's largest um, audience is in Japan and in Canada and the U.S. Yeah. And my largest fan base happens to be in the U.S. At that time, was U.S., Canada, and Japan. And for some reason, my album wasn't really released in Canada. And the Hello Kitty and and in Japan, they didn't really know I had made a video that I directed and paid for, I think, with Hello Kitty in it, which, again, the Sanrio folks gave me the rights completely to use and help me with creating a a Hello Kitty character in my video. Like, we made a video. It just, it was mind-boggling. It seems pretty simple that... It seemed kind of obvious, but again, I don't know what kind of big bucks are involved or what kind of timing or what else is on people's plates or where people's heads are, what, what, you know, but it's frustrating as a musician thinking like all the pieces are in place, the music is good. It's interesting. Like, Oh, I made a record with Dweezil. That's an interesting fact. Yeah. The music sounds good to me. It sounds like a little more rock and I've done a few different things than I normally do. And there's a cool video and identifiable character on the yeah, cover. Like amazing people running this cool label. And then, Hmm. <laughs> Time to make a new record. <laughs> like, okay, well, okay. So you know, at least creatively, I, I got to accomplish a lot of awesome things. I got to you know direct a video. I got to make music with everyone from Randy Scruggs to Dweezil Zappa, and make a really cool album. I'm proud of. And I moved forward. <laughs> you move forward dun, to dun, 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 to the next record to the way it really is. Yeah, which is an album that I just discovered like a couple weeks ago. Because I, I that's awesome. It's hard to find. I couldn't find it. Oh, yeah. It. I don't know if it's available on iTunes. It's not. It? I don't think it is. Why? Why? I'm looking at my manager over there. Why? why I don't want you two to start fighting. No, no, no. We're something not fighting. I said. It's, <laughs> it's all, you know, it's always process, a process to get things available. But, it's not available because oh, they have the rights and they don't want to put it on iTunes. Well, those jerks. That's brilliant. Um, hmm, somebody might want to leak it. Uh, <laughs> or it might, it might be one of those bands. Bands have started re-recording their own songs yeah. so that they can put their records out. Yeah. It's fr- again like, and it was funny. The album was called "The Way It Really Is." I think probably after that "Hello Lisa" experience, yeah, um, which was you know the way you get through life is you look at things the way they are and you just deal with it. You know, you know, you don't get all crazy about it. You know, you, you put passion behind things yeah. and you try to get what you need and what you want and try to make things happen. But you also just look at things the way they are and go from there. Well, let's listen to this song called "I Control the Sun." That's a ballsy statement, Lisa. <laughs> Turn on the stars, 
I make all the colors that you see As you circle me, I open up the sky I control the speed I can make the green lights flash I can make you crash Baby makes a sound You stop when you slow down But I can't make you see things the way I see things I can't make you feel things the way I feel them I can't wait around for you I've got better things to do There's so many more things to talk about. I know that could time. go on forever. That was I wrote that with Dave Bassett, and I was also proud because when we designed the album cover, I made sure there was a lot of white space because I signed so many CDs, and I was like, I have to have <laughs> space on this one to write with a black sharpie. Like, I, there's totally a lot of space yeah. on that one. Perfect. It, it's like very white. Perfect for signing if you yeah. can find it. <laughs> if you, I, I, that's crazy. You know, you can order it from me online at lisaloeb.com. Oh, there you go. We have it. Nice. All right. And it's awesome. Bye and that. I'll write on it. There's, it's me sitting with two d- deer, fake deer, but deer. Yeah. Well, how did that come up? How does that it's happen? in my front yard. Oh, it okay. It's in my front yard. And I was like, oh, I have to, I wanted something like foresty looking. Right. Like, like with that color palette of the dark green and the black and the white. I'm very into like the color palette and how this album cover mm-hmm. looks next to the other albums I've made. And, uh, it was that it just it looked awesome. Uh, before we talk about your your newest projects, I, I do need to ask about this reality show you did for oh, E. Yeah. I did a reality show for E called Number One Single, which we wrote a cool theme song, which yeah, is a real song. Out. Yeah, Single Me Out. Yeah. I wrote it with a, a friend of mine, um, Jimmy Harry. And, uh, but uh, I, uh, well, I had just gone through a big breakup. Um, with Dweezil. With Dweezil. And... Somebody came to me and asked if I would, I think it was Janet, my manager. She's like, would you, would you think about doing a reality show about your life? And it was, it was a long time ago. So it was before, it was kind of like after, during Anna Nicole Smith, but before like the predominance of reality shows on TV. Yeah, it was before they really started to play with, with lines of dialogue that exactly, you're saying yeah. and, and all that cheating that they do in reality exactly. television. So it was, cause I did, I did watch the show and it was a, uh, yeah, it was much. What do I want to say? Nicer. It was. It was real. It it reflected me and my the story I wanted to tell. Yeah, which was I was in my thirties, single, newly single, never really dated much because I was in two really long term relationships, working. Had you moving to New York? I moved to New York. I wanted to move to New York because although I'd lived in L.A. a lot, I'd lived in New York a lot, and mm-hmm. that just felt more natural to me. And and with E, we realized that was like more of the energy that yeah. felt right for the show. Um, it's funny, VH1 wanted to develop it, and then we got into the details, and they um, they wanted to be much more dramatic. And, well, you know, why isn't she crying? Why isn't she, you know, I don't know if they literally said, but I felt like I needed to be naked in a hot tub or something. I was like, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's like yeah. the same way I treat my music. I'm like, I, I like to try different things, and I'm interested to hear what people have to say. They might have a, an interesting idea, but if, if it, you know, at the very end, I, I have to do things that I right. feel true about and and and, and this, I realized this wasn't this wasn't you giving a groupie a backstage pass or a no. rose at the end it was none of that no it wasn't a competition it was not, no, a competition. It was not a competition <laughs> and i wanted to tell the story i realized although it was weird doing a reality show even with my own music the reason i play music is and the re- reason i play concerts and travel on airplanes is to speak to people whether it's yeah. through music or literally speak to people hear their stories me tell them their stories that's what i enjoy most about life if, if i did something else at the time it was funny i was like well maybe uh, maybe i want to be a psychologist or do something and then when i watered it down to like what what why is that it's because of the stories i want to yeah. hear people's stories i want to help them they help me sharing oprah you know 
and through this reality show, once we were able to do our own demo reel of the reality show and shoot some of the reality show. And I realized we could tell a story. I could tell a story that would resonate with other people in a way that other people haven't done it on TV because I feel like there are a lot of people like me who aren't represented on TV and VH1 wasn't looking for that exact show, but E turned out that they were. So we worked with them. I had my sister on the show, my friend Stephanie and it wasn't a game show and, and you know, it was reality based. So we, we definitely when the producers and I was one of the producers, but I let them sort of choose the dates. We tried to pick a variety of people. So different topics would come up like religion or, um, finance or, you know, different things, uh, make sure there was different interesting topics of conversation. So we made the reality show, which, you know, my, my better side where my better wisdom or whatever would, would probably say that's a terrible idea, but it ended up being a good thing. Even, you know, even at the time. And I, I I told the producers this, I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to meet someone on state. I mean, on, on camera, but maybe there's like a nice sound engineer or, you know, like I'll be around a group of people in a city that I love for a period of time. And, and who knows what'll come of it. Cut to episode two. Lisa's in a hot tub with Hello Kitty. <laughs> yes, and I did actually take off my shirt and take off my pants in different parts of the show. But that was because I wanted to, not because they were forcing me to. It's because it was something I would do. Uh, now, Lisa, you, you brought your guitar along. It, it's, I know you've been under the weather this week, but it sounds like your voice is kind of warmed up from talking. Am it I, might am be. I right I or try wrong? singing a song. You can play whatever you want. Okay, let me see. Let me grab my guitar and see. As long I... as it's a Zeppelin. No, I'm kidding. Oh my gosh, that would be great. Let me see what I can find. Do you have like a guitar that you always, uh, I know people can't hear you, but I'll just talk. Yeah. Um, do you have a guitar that's like, uh, this is your one. This is the one that I always record with. This is my fake one. Okay. I have another one that's a, the electronics are broken, so I haven't been playing it as much. But this is exactly like it, almost. She's thinking, I'm not bringing my one to you guys. I'm not bringing my real one. <laughs> are you kidding me? No, would, it's in a vault at home. <coughs> I do have a lot of guitars. Sort of in tune after being in the case. Let me just tune it up. Hold on one sec. It's interesting, nobody usually tunes without a tuner. So that's a real musician right yeah. there. It reminds me, I still need to learn all those songs to play when I go to it. Like, so that when I go to a guitar center and try something out, I can impress everybody in the store. <laughs> I've been meaning to do that since eighth grade. Maybe that's what I should do right now. I mean, not right this second, but over holidays, like learn those songs I was going to learn. You know, like the three singer-songwriter, James Taylor, right. ones that everyone could sing along with. When I, They're like, there's a guitar, play it. I'm like, I don't know any of those songs. And maybe three wedding songs. Like I'm at a wedding, like they're staring at me like, play a song. I'm like, my songs are depressing. You don't want me to play my songs. Like, you know, like freak out or something like that. Uh, and then three jazz standards so that when there's the piano and everyone's like, there's a piano, sing a song. And I'm like, I don't know the words. And then they go, oh, Lisa Loeb would not play. Yeah, they were like, she was so aloof. It's like, no, she, <laughs> she didn't so know aloof. the words. <laughs> so anyway, I have to learn that and some cool licks for um, Guitar Center. Do you want to play something off No Fairy Tale? Sure. Let me see what I can do. Okay. It's up to you. Let me try this. If I screw it up too bad, I'm going to ask you to erase it. No Fairy Tale is Lisa's newest full-length CD yeah, album. It's available on vinyl too, with really cool artwork. And it's uh, it's a really, really, it's my, it's it's my favorite. It's my favorite Lisa Loeb album right now. Oh, wow. Oh, it's not staying in tune. Wait. Sorry. That sounds 
sounds pretty much in tune. Yeah. See if I can remember this song. A prince in the summer was a drag in the spring. How could you know that it took off a ring? Test is Janet was grooving over there, and Janet, you've probably heard it a million times. You're sick of it, and she's still it's a groovy test. She's still into it. This is uh, that was the title track from uh, No Fairy Tale, Lisa's new CD. Yeah, and um, I actually have a couple of those to give away to listeners. They were sent over by Kurt from Four Twenty Nine Records. So thank you, Kurt. Yay! Um, I, I want to talk. Uh, are you going to play again? You oh, I was. I'm, now I'm noodling. It's very important in, in to noodle. Yeah, no. It's very important not to. It's like one of the things you learn in music class, like don't noodle while people are talking. Well, it's funny because she was at a wedding I was at and she wouldn't even touch the guitar. And now she's noodling. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you have uh, you have two children's books that include CDs. Yes. One's called Silly Sing Along and one's called, the newest one is Songs for Moving and Shaking. Yes. And um, I highly recommend these because um, it's hard to find kids' music that you can play in the car that isn't going to drive the parents crazy after the second or third listen. <laughs> or 27,000. Yes, exactly. I'm so um, I want you to hear a little bit of this because I want you to go buy these. Uh, let's hear. I love this. Uh, I love Turn It Down, the air band song. Oh, yeah. This is From awesome. Songs for Moving and Shaking. Let's play this. 
Down, Matt. <laughs> it, it's, but it's, it, oh my gosh, I love these records. I made them. I made the songs with my friends Michelle Lewis and Dan Petty, and they've actually since we've recorded these, they've they've done really well re- making all the music for Doc McStuffins, which we love. I don't know. Oh, if I, I didn't know, know that. No yeah. Doc McStuffins. You listen God. to it. More music that you can yeah. just listen to. Actually. My daughter loves that show. She didn't. We didn't even realize yeah. there was a connection. That's I love these records. I'm so proud. I, I it's I talk about them like I didn't make them, but I did make them. But it's it's funny when you collaborate on projects. It's it's, you feel more comfortable saying like, oh my gosh, I love this. Because it's like when I when I saw the, the illustrations that this guy, Ryan O'Rourke, did. Is that someone you didn't know? They just paired know. you up with yeah, him? Yeah, they paired us up with him. It was funny. The, the publishing company uh, said uh, they they we had a discussion about illustrators and they said, okay, here's your choices. And they gave me one choice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. One choice. Here we go again. Um, and I saw the choice and it was amazing. Yeah. So they did such a great job, Sterling Publishing, putting the books together with me um, and with all these songs and there's recipes and activities. And is there going to be more of these? We'll see. Gotta be we'll more. see. It's just so much fun. There's a lot of songs that are from my summer camp days, like Sip and Cider mm-hmm. and the song, I you loose to play my ololo banjolo and relalested all along my nililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililil
be a weirdo. Well, no, there are weird. There are many weirdos at my concert. They're not weird though. They're just they've got a good sense of humor right. and fun and kitsch. I want They're very kitschy. And I want cute. kids to have. They are kitschy. Kids and should cute. have them. And I, I, it's funny. I play them live. I was just up in Alaska a few months ago, and a lot of people. I was like, "Who's this for?" And people are like, "Oh, it's for." You could tell by the names. Right. You know, you're yeah. like, "It's for like Kayla." That's a kid. Yeah. It's for. Uh, there's this like kid's name and then it's like, it's for Crystal. It's for Amber. I'm like, it's for you. Or it's for Jennifer. I'm like, it's for you. Jennifer is the seventies. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Time machine. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I have two copies of no fairy tale and two copies of the, uh, a copy each of the book. So, uh, when you answer the question, say, oh, I'd like the CD or I'd like the live kids, I'd like the book and, and I'll get them right out to you. Um, and there is a thing such as like going on iTunes or, uh, going to you know barnesandnoble.com or whatever and just purchasing it too. Yeah, do that. <laughs> That's a good point. Do that. I, do, I, I, I always feel like it's important to point that out because yeah. I like the rest of everybody else. I often look on YouTube if I'm just like quickly yeah. trying to remember, oh, what was that song that Casey and the Sunshine Band yeah. sings? And then I'm like, oh, I need to buy this. Right. That's what, that's what it's about. I know. Um, no Fairy Tale, I can't re- recommend it highly enough. I love the 90s song. Um, when I, when I hear the lyrics that you wrote for that, it takes me right there. I know exactly what, what is going on. I love hot minute. And oh yeah, uh, that's Tegan Quinn, Tegan and Sarah, uh, Tegan and Sarah wrote some songs on the record Yep. and Chad Gilbert from newfound glory, uh, produced the record. So yeah, yeah, it's such a, it's such a punky poppy rocking CD. I just love it. Yeah. Um, well, Lisa, thank you so much thank you. for coming. I know you have a holiday song that we're going to use for our playout yes. song. Inspired by Bowie, Pink Floyd. I love all and the And those Bowie wonderful, disappointing today. holidays. Uh, Janet, thank you so much. I think you and I have had more email conversations <laughs> than communication I've had with my mom in the past <laughs> That's year. That's impossible. Uh, that is true. Um, <laughs> you can find Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Loeb. Simple. Your website, lisaloeb.com. Mm-hmm. Simple. Facebook. Facebook. Lisa Loeb Official. There you go. It's a picture of me standing in a dress. Oh, we're doing a guitar giveaway on our website so people can check that out. Kind of makes my CD and book I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A piece of crap now, Lisa. No, I, I think. I, we no, 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 no. Please. <laughs> what kind please, of guitar? Please. A Daisy Rock guitar. All right. It's a cute guitar. It's, it's similar to the one I'm playing on the cover of the holiday song. Which is also available on iTunes. Yes, it is holiday song. Uh, you changed the cover because it was released a couple years ago, and then you said yeah. it's got a new cover. Uh, holiday song was a bonus track in Japan, ah. and we were not allowed to put it out. So they let us put it out, a giveaway for Amazon for like a day. Um, and so I couldn't wait to put it out this year, like actually put really it out put there it so out. people could hear. Yeah, and, really put um, it out. It's a holiday song because it, it, you do not celebrate Christmas. You're of a Jewish persuasion. Yes, exactly. I don't celebrate Christmas, but we celebrate it at friends' houses. Oh, okay, great. And this is also like Thanksgiving-y. It is. It's, it's the it's, holiday it season. It encompasses all, yes. the whole season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Lisa, thank you so much for thank coming you. here. Janet, thank you so much for arranging this. Uh, Garen Cockrell's here. Thank you, Garen, for uh, opening the door and letting Lisa in. <laughs> it was a really good job. I Matt, it. Garen's a fan also of yours, so he wanted to be here. <laughs> thank uh, you. Matt, thanks for coming back sure. and producing. And let's play out with um, Lisa's holiday song. A holiday song. Everyone's still sore from the holidays. Another pumpkin pie is burned. I still don't have someone to turn to Everyone is still stuck in their own ways Hallmark ruined expectations bright 
It never works out right. No greeting cards, just bleeding hearts, and they won't rescue you. Everyone's still sore from the holidays. I'm through. Everyone's still sore. Ego's bruised, no breaths around to shout.